0: Welcome back to the Mandarin Blueprint Podcast. My name is Phil Crimmins. Today's podcast is our eighth, and we actually recorded it in its entirety two days ago. uh, But about five minutes in, the audio and screen recording simply stopped, and we weren't aware that that happened, so (laughs) we only discovered that last night. So today is the re record, and hey, that's fine. Sometimes when you re record, it's even better than the first time. So We will go in with some announcements and get into some questions after that. If you're new to the podcast, we do have a bit of a format to it. In the YouTube video or the podcast player that you're listening to this, we'll have timestamps of the various sections that we talk about. It's mostly a question and answer or comment uh, and answer section related to the Mandarin Blueprint Method course and the Pronunciation Mastery course. We'll start with some announcements and then we'll get to questions. Feel free to navigate the description below to see any of the links that we talk about or navigate to a different part of the show. So first, a few announcements. Number one announcement, as you know from last week, we've decided to make the Pronunciation Mastery course completely free now. And so we've Also, put it up on Udemy, which many people uh, who are watching or listening to this podcast may be aware of. Udemy is a platform for all sorts of online courses. Our Pronunciation Mastery course runs on our website as well, but we have now put it up on Udemy also. And so, the first announcement is really more of a request. If you are a fan of the Pronunciation Mastery or just a fan of Mandarin Blueprint, and you have a Udemy account or you're willing to make one for free and leave us a review, that would be great. It's so helpful to get reviews on Udemy because we have a free course and they don't tend to put free courses on their front page unless There are good reviews with it, and uh, we have gotten one four out of five star review from a guy who watched one video. Uh, So, uh, Udemy, if there's anybody uh, from your staff watching this, maybe you should have people required to watch a few more videos than one before they're allowed to make a rating, because it's not exactly an informed decision. But many of you watching have either taken the pronunciation master already, or you're familiar with parts of it, and so you know that it's a high quality product. So. Please go over to Udemy. We have the link in the show notes to our specific pronunciation mastery course there. And if you leave us a rating there, it's extraordinarily helpful to promoting the course. So many of you have gotten great value out of it. So uh, these little things they really do go a long way. And so uh, that's first, starting off, starting off the course, starting off the podcast with a bit of a request. But next we'll go into some new stuff that we've added to the course. So we're giving you stuff too. And so that's phase five. Phase five of the Mandarin Blueprint method course is our newest addition to the materials. So phase one of the course is all about character components and characters. So we start with very simple character components that you don't have to know anything about Chinese to understand. A simple horizontal line, a vertical line, a dot, these types of basic components, and we put them together to create simple characters. Now we do this from levels one through six. Now, from level six, 7 through 12, you enter phase 2. Phase 2 is focused on vocabulary, so the majority of Chinese words are made up of two characters, so when you learn two characters that make up a high frequency word, everyday use word, we tell you what's the best way to remember this word, and so we focus on that in phase 2. In phase three, while continuing the things you learned in phase one and two, we get these words that you've acquired effectively into comprehensible sentences. So, full thoughts, essentially, and this is the language. Once you get to a sentence level, these are things that people will actually say day to day, and it gives you a sense of what grammar is like. You start to get a feeling for grammar, and... That's what you want with grammar. You don't want to have a theoretical knowledge of grammar. You want to just feel it. You want to know that sounded right, that didn't sound right, and the best way to do that is to get comprehensible input. So when you arrive at phase three, which is level th- levels 13 through 20, the focus is on seeing how sentences are structured in an organic way because you're not worried about the opinion or what's that character or what's this word, all the characters and words in the sentences are made are from what you've already learned in phase 1 and 2. Occasionally we throw in what we call a top down word and that's just a word that's so high frequency that even though you haven't seen it yet, you'll still be able to understand it and we give you the pinyin and definition for that. But it's really great because you get a lot of the sentences don't have any top down words and you're just reading sentences in Chinese with it's not a phonetic language, right? So you're just reading it and understanding it right within the first, you know, 13 levels of the course. It's pretty cool. Then you enter into phase four of the course, which we talked about a couple weeks ago on the podcast, some updates we did to that. And phase four is where we take those sentences that you've been learning and we put a little asterisk next to the ones that are important. And then we say, okay, these sentences that with the asterisk, they actually make up a longer opinion piece, or a dialogue, or a little short story. Usually a paragraph, maybe two paragraphs. Quite short. And so now you're starting to see sentences in a greater context. And why would you bother with this? Well, and the reason why I talk about this is because I didn't get that I needed to do this in my early days. I stayed in phase three for way too long. I was looking at individual sentence flashcards forever, every day, just click, click, click through Anki. And It was useful, but what it did was it didn't give me the context that's necessary for longer form thinking and conversation. So the example I gave in the phase four update was, you could have a sentence that says, (laughs) it says, the man stabbed him to death. The man stabbed him to death. Well, what an awful guy he is. He stabbed him and he He stabbed him to death. That man is bad, right? But what if... That sentence was in the context of a story of the man defending his children from an invader and it was purely self-defense and he was horrified afterwards and just, you know, so distraught that he got pushed to such a uh, horrible situation. Well, naturally, you would feel very differently about that sentence. And so that is to say that where a sentence is in the context of a paragraph can affect the grammar of that paragraph. And so phase five is where we say, okay, you're still going to have those sentences with the asterisks. Those sentences are still going to make up a paragraph that gets unlocked, but that paragraph is a component paragraph in a longer story. And, you know, a story that really, you know, has a beginning, middle, and end. And they're classic stories too. So these stories have been uh, edited and translated and modified to your level by our Excellent teacher Annie, and what she's done is she's taken classic stories like Three Little Pigs, Little Red Riding Hood, Sleeping Beauty, as well as stories like uh, Sima Guang zazang and uh, Cao Chengxiang. These are classic Chinese stories. So that that last one is Cao Chong weighs an elephant. And so these classic Chinese stories, they will give you a sense of the type of things that Chinese children uh, grew up with and the fairy tales that they sort of hear as children. And what happens is you see the sentences come up with the asterisks. They will unlock one of the paragraphs. It'll be like, oh, paragraph three of Sleeping Beauty is unlocked now. And then after you've unlocked the four paragraphs of Sleeping Beauty, we'll say full story unlocked. You can now read this whole Sleeping Beauty story and you – it's at your level. We know it's at your level because we know where, you're, where you are. And the only caveat that we would put with this is that in the same way that a movie with a twist at the end can change the entire meaning of the movie, just think of The Sixth Sense and how different that movie is when you watch it the second time, we don't necessarily introduce the paragraphs in the order that they appear in the story. Now, this is for two reasons. The first reason is because we want you to get that grammar exists on several different layers. And so if you see the third paragraph before you see the first and second paragraph, you'll understand just how important it is to see the context in that more story-based level grammar. But secondly, sometimes the third paragraph of a story, the vocabulary in, in it suits level 31 of the course more than it suits level 35. So suppose Sleeping Beauty, paragraph three, the vocabulary is perfectly suited to be slotted in in level 31, but paragraph two, it's more level 35. Well, then you'll unlock the entire story in level 35 and you'll see the other paragraphs before it. Now, this is how you grow your knowledge. You can't grow your knowledge by starting from grammar, starting from words. You can't even start from words, because if you don't start from components and characters and build up to words, you're just going to look at words and be like, oh, there's about 12 things I don't know about this word because there's pinyin, there's tones, there's character components, and if you don't know anything, any of those about the two characters, man, do you have to deconstruct it first and then build it back up. That's way inefficient. So you build up and you build up and you build up. But by the end of the Mandarin Blueprint Method thirty level 36, you should, you'll should you know 80% of Chinese and you can read full stories. And this can be done in two to three months, depending on how many hours a day you're spending on it. Um, it takes about 250 hours. So, you know, you spend eight hours a day on it, you get it done in a month. So anyway, the idea here is that as you go through these, you're going to expand your knowledge out into larger grammar. And uh, today, after we finish recording the podcast, I'm going to upload all of the audio for each one of these phase four and five paragraphs and stories. And not just one audio file; it'll actually be usually four, sometimes two. And it's got male and female voice, so that a, a voice that will match more closely match your particular pitch range but also an 80% speed version and a native speed version. And the reason why we picked 80% is twofold. One, obviously you're just starting, so you need to move into listening and reading and then shadowing, which I'll get into in a second, at a speed that is more comprehensible. But secondly, because 80% speed is about as slow as you can go without a Chinese person finding it to be too slow when you're talking to them. So if you can imagine... That I talked. You're already getting annoyed that I'm talking so slowly, right? But suppose I were to talk at about 80% of my normal speed. This is a little bit slow, but it doesn't bother you that it's this slow, nor would it bother a Chinese person if you're speaking at about this speed. And it also gives you more time to think. So if you have an 80% speed, It's good enough for Chinese people to not be annoyed by it. It gives you time to think. Your pronunciation will almost definitely be more accurate. And then you can build into native speed. And we put the native speed there as kind of a challenge. Just sort of like keep it there, download it, save it for later, and then you're going to be ready to do that. You know, probably a little bit further into the course, but you'll uh, definitely have it there as the challenge in your back pocket. Now, I mentioned shadowing. So this is what you should do with these recordings and this is actually it's more than just what you should do we're challenging you to do it and to send us recordings of you doing it so here's what you do i've left a link in the show notes of luke explaining shadowing in greater detail but the basics of shadowing is that you listen to a recording and you have the sentence or the text in front of you and so you listen and you understand it you have to make sure you understand it first that's step one secondly you listen and then you repeat after each sentence and luckily the way we have it set up is that those sentences are in your Anki decks. So that step of listening and repeating uh, individual sentences, that can happen in Anki and it will naturally happen as you build up. And so whenever you see a sentence that's either marked in Anki or has an asterisk for sure, replay the audio, which if you're on your desktop version of Anki, hit the R key. And if you're on the phone version of Anki, there's a little play button to replay the audio. So like listen, repeat, listen, repeat. And then finally, you press play and you say it at the exact same time as the native speaker and try to mimic them precisely, try to be as precise as you can. And so by doing that, you're building up your uh, ability to flow in a sentence because pronunciation on the level of the character or the word is somewhat formulaic. You can kind of get it exactly right. But the sentence level, there's so much variation based on the emotional context that it is a fool's errand to try to uh, academically analyze how you should change your tones and change the flow of the sentence. It's a much better thing to just do it. Just go listen to native audio and mimic it precisely. So you do that on the sentence first. And then when you have a paragraph unlocked, you read the paragraph. You've already seen all the sentences in the paragraph through Anki, which is, you know, part of the thing that makes this system so uh, um is sticking to what you know, but you've already seen them and now you're going to put them together. So you understand the whole paragraph. You go, cool, I get the beginning, middle, and end of this paragraph. You listen, repeat, listen, repeat, and then listen, speak, and read at the same time. That's effectively what shadowing is, listening, speaking, and reading at the same time. So of the four things you need to do in Chinese, which is listening, uh, reading, speaking, and writing, you're doing three of them. So it's very efficient. It's also very brain intensive, but hence why we want you to do it sentence by sentence first in your Anki cards, and then do it paragraph by paragraph. And then when you get to phase five, you'll add that extra layer, which is a full story. And so here's our challenge to you. As you build it up, When you reach either a phase four paragraph or a phase five paragraph in a story or even better, a phase five full story, shadow it to the point where you're so confident that you can say it right, that you make a video recording of you speaking, reading out loud the story And we will critique your pronunciation and also we think this is a great way for people to understand just how quickly you can get to a point of being able to read and speak out loud a Mandarin story in just a few months with the Mandarin Blueprint Method. So this will really help to, A, you know, impress your friends and B, uh, promote the course and help other people realize that this is the fastest way to acquire Mandarin. So. If at any point you feel very confident about the pronunciation that you're putting forward in a paragraph or a story, let's start with a paragraph for now. Open up your phone, turn on the recording, say the story, and send it over to support at mandarinblueprint.com. We'll play it on the podcast and we'll critique your pronunciation, and it'll be great. It'll be a very good thing to help promote the course. So that's our challenge to you. Now, secondly, another quick update Um, the webinar, the Mandarin Blueprint webinar is now available. And so we've got two actually. So if you've seen the content that we sent just as we were releasing the Mandarin Blueprint method course, this is that same content. Um, but if you haven't seen it, it's some of the best content we've made. It's content that relates to how you should be thinking about the Chinese learning journey from a kind of higher level perspective, what are the problems that most people fall into, the, the traps that they fall into, how to think about it the right way, build up like I've sh- talked about before in the different phases. And so on our webinars page, which I've left a link in the show notes for, We have two webinars you can sign up for. The first one is just a purely kind of educational webinar. We're not really, we have a very short little pitch at the end about the Mandarin Blueprint Method, but effectively it's just a one hour webinar about the state of Chinese learning. And then the second webinar is all about the Mandarin Blueprint Method specifically, which is of course, the Mandarin Blueprint Method is our patent pending sort of phase one through five I was just explaining to you that course that teaches you Chinese step-by-step in a fun and innovative way. And it utilizes mnemonic visualization in the most entertaining and systemized way that's ever been out there for Chinese characters. And so if you're curious about how that works, that's the webinar for you. That one's about 40 minutes long. And again, there's a short pitch at the end to tell you that the Mandarin Blueprint Method is uh, free for 10 days and then $15 a month. I mean, it's, it's not expensive. So, and there's a few free gifts in the webinar as well. So check those out. And so we now are going to get into some questions and comments from the audience. The first we have from Don, Don Whittle, uh, not Don, Don, um, Whittle from Facebook. She says, Hey, Luke. Hey, Phil. Just wanted to thank you guys for giving me a method that's truly advanced my learning techniques with Mandarin. It's pretty much the same old story of grew up in Hong Kong, school didn't foster my Mandarin learning too well, and I just couldn't get it down. I've been learning all my life, my mom's Chinese, and, uh, my mom's Chinese, and I've wanted to be fluent for so long, but I never really focused on it until now. I'm so happy I found you guys. Not only has it opened up my learning capabilities and shown me how to learn quickly, and relighted my passion for learning the language, but it's also given me a greater understanding of why Chinese people think and act the way they do. Sometimes I could never understand my own mom's actions, but now I can to a greater level. And it's brought us much closer. Sorry for the rant, but I'm just so grateful to have found your course. Honestly, life-changing. Thanks again. And, you know, getting messages like that is the type of stuff that... Just it motivates both Luke and I to no end because that's exactly the goal. It's exactly what we hope you can find for yourself. I mean, we're not saying literally have a better relationship with your Chinese mother, but it's that type of awakening to the different. Way, way of thinking your own brain will go through, how when you realize, oh, like, you know, behavior that I previously thought was uh, just weird and incomprehensible of Chinese people, now I not only see it as comprehensible, but I can actually appreciate and, th- and see why they're doing it. Um, and, uh, you know, and just by the by, is it a little bit of a tangent? It, when I meet foreigners here who don't speak Chinese, who complain about Chinese people's behavior, I oftentimes find it very frustrating because I'm like, well, you're not investing. In trying to understand. So when you criticize, it's kind of like, have you thought about what might be that there might be something beneath your, uh, somewhat shallow criticism that explains the behavior, but that's another point. But Dawn's point about, um, realizing that she can learn quickly. That was a thing that I felt personally. When I went through this process, I realized, Oh, these mnemonic visualizations, I remember them. I always remember them and then I do my Anki to make sure that you know I don't like you'll forget anything if you never review it at all but like uh, as long as I use Anki I never forget them and it's so efficient so if you do something to learn a character that is so memorable that all you have to do is see a a flashcard with it uh, at a spaced interval over time and you'll remember it forever then I mean how much of a game changer is that and everybody can do it because when it comes to mnemonic visualization, it's not even, that's a skill that we have that's even deeper than language. It's a skill that animals have. They're able to visualize. I mean, it's speculated speculated that they're able to visualize. And uh, unless you have a weird um, uh, condition, a very rare condition, I shouldn't say weird, a rare condition, something aphasia, I've forgotten the name, but it's like basically mind's eye blindness, uh, then everybody can do this. And so, And even the people with mind's eye blindness, there are other methods you can use that are far better than rote learning. So thank you so much, Don. That's a great uh, message to get. And I'm so happy to hear that your relationship with your mom has gotten better. I mean, like, that's awesome. All right. So next, we're going to talk about uh, casting call suggestions. So what's that? Well, casting calls are the part of our course where you choose an actor to represent a pinion initial. And so that actor is a person because we're very good at facial recognition. You bring up a celebrity to mind, you say Brad Pitt, uh, then you can imagine Brad Pitt standing there in your mind's eye. And so we're very good at recognizing faces. We know that's my mom, not my enemy. And so um, that's a very useful tool from an evolutionary standpoint. And so when we pick a an actor to represent a pinion initial, we have some kind of relationship to the letter so for example you know we say b brad pitt sure simple enough and we do have categories for it but we have a an article all about this uh on the hens movie method there's a eight-part series we have called what is the hens movie method and you can check it out so first suggestion comes from chad wrestler on character 53 luan which is a u sound Luan. and so uh, sounds are related to fictional characters. So we're going to have a fictional character that has an L name, and Chad is a big fan of Chinese movies. So he has a, uh, a character from the movie Brotherhood of Blades called uh, Lu Jianxing. I don't know what the tones are because it's just opinion, but Lu Jianxing. And so Lu, of course, is his last name, and so, because in Chinese, the last name goes first, or the surname goes first. And uh, so... That's easy. If you know a Chinese actor and they happen to have the exact same pronunciation as the beginning of the character, then they're perfect. And he loves that movie, so it works very well there. Then you have Jim on character 68, guo, which will have a G-U. So once again, guo, u, u. So because it's that u sound, we're going to have a fictional character, Inspector Gadget. So he's got the G with the G-U, Inspector Gadget, great Actor choice because he can do so many things. Like he can extend his legs, he can uh have crazy things come out of his trench coat, and, and you know, it's it's so many things that Inspector Gadget might be able to do, so he's a great actor choice. And um, it also made me think two days ago when I was recording this with Luke that you know the uh actor, even if it's a human actor and you want them to do something that would otherwise be physically impossible because, of course, it's your brain, so anything can happen. Uh, You could have their arms stretch like Stretch Armstrong, and the reason why I thought of that is because Inspector Gadget, of course, can extend his arms and legs mechanically, and I thought, well, any of your actors could do this, really. You just imagine their arms are stretching out like Stretch Armstrong. Finally, we have another bit from Chad where he chose an entire category of actors to represent the U sounds. Now, the final in Chinese, the vowel sound uh, is the least common of the six vowel sounds, A, E, I, O, U, and ü. and so as a result, there are only six actors that you need to choose. The other three categories have a lot more actors, so we recommend that you stick with the male actor, female actor, fictional character categories, but the final category, since there's only six, we give the recommendation of mythical gods or world leaders, but if you can think of your own category that is clearly distinct from the other three then you can go with that and so he decided on WWF wrestlers and so I love this because I mean I wasn't a huge WWF fan as a kid but a bunch of my friends were and so I couldn't really escape it and so there was some I have some degree of knowledge of what he's talking about here so he says for this category I tried to think of something distinct and personal to me growing up I used to watch WWF wrestling all the time it was during the golden era of WWF so there were a lot of memorable wrestlers here are my picks for Randy Macho Man Savage I mean like who anybody who's seen anything about uh, pro wrestling knows who that guy is and he used to have this sort of like oh yeah that he used to do all the time and so he's like okay that oh yeah sort of sounds a little bit like so he's gonna go with that Ju, he has uh, Jake the Snake Roberts. I saw him on Joe Rogan's podcast recently. For Chu, Kurt Henning or Mr. Perfect. For Lu, we have the British Bulldog, Davy Boy Smith, born in Lancashire, in England. I suppose maybe Chad's from England. Uh, nu is Hulk Hogan. And then Shu is Ric Flair. Uh, apparently he had a, ooh, that he did. I'm not I'm not as familiar with that one. But that's great. That's good stuff. We had people in the past do communist leaders, uh, Harry Potter characters. And you might say, well, Harry Potter characters are, are fictional characters. Won't you get them confused with that category? It's like, no, because you just make sure that none of your fictional characters are Harry Potter characters. And then your ooh category is Harry Potter characters. There's any number of things you can do. So... That is the three comments we got this week, the three suggestions we got from people about how to pick an actor to represent a pinion initial in the casting call lessons of the Mandarin Blueprint Method course. Next, uh, Jim sent us in a video from this excellent website that I'm a huge fan of called fluentinmandarin.com. The guy who runs this site is named uh, Chris Parker, excellent Chinese. He's got the right you know, attitude about learning Chinese and I um, am a huge fan of what he does and I've seen a lot of his articles and so he came out with this article recently that I found to be very uh sorry it was a video recently that I thought was worth you know doing a little bit of a reaction to because it's very relevant and I just want to make sure that you guys know that he's got a great website and I have no problem promoting it because what Mandarin Blueprint does oftentimes doesn't really conflict with what other Chinese learning resources are doing uh, they're often focused on a particular area, or you know, they're not exactly focusing on the same way that we are. And so, there's room enough on the internet for all of us. And so, I think cross promotion is much better than you know, feeling like oh, he's our he's our competitor. So, we're gonna not you know, no, I'm a huge supporter of Chris Chris Parker Fluent dot com. So let's check out his video here. It's really cool, and I'm just gonna you know, if I have any comments about it, I'll I'll mention. So it starts off. Well, it's basically, it's a very simple video. We'll we'll splice it in here, but it starts off with uh, just uh, text and voice. So let's check it out.
1: There's something about people who decide to learn Chinese. They want to challenge themselves. They want to try something different, something that not everybody does. They want to travel the world. They want to discover a new culture and feel closer to billions of people on this earth. So that is
0: one of the things that I find to be most compelling about wanting to learn Chinese is that it just has such an incredible bang for your buck in terms of potential relationships. No other language can claim that. Mandarin Chinese is, you you could learn Spanish, and you can, you know, double the amount of people that you know if you're, in, I suppose you're a native English speaker, you could learn Spanish, and you could double the amount of people you could know. There are more Mandarin speakers in the world than all English and Spanish speakers combined. So it's just, what an incredible way to get access to All these other potential opportunities, relationships, you know, well, we'll we'll continue.
1: Or just that one special person. People tell you Chinese is the hardest language in the world. They tell you you're crazy. Why the hell would you want to learn Chinese? That's what they asked me. I certainly believe that somebody asked
0: this of Chris Parker at some point. But it's interesting because I think that now that that question won't come up as much. And it's completely yeah, I get why people ask it because they literally think it's impossible. They there are people and Luke was saying when we were recording the podcast the other day that he met two people in Vietnam that just straight up told him there was like nope, you're not going to learn Chinese. Uh, and there is a bit of a weird sort of self-doubt in that, but now, the the idea of people being skeptical of why you would want to learn Chinese, everybody's like, yeah, that's probably a good idea. I mean, like, that sounds hard. Maybe it's impossible. But they're not confused about why you might want to do it because obviously China is just like, I'm such an important player in the world now. And, uh, you know, nobody really questions it in that way anymore unless they're kind of unaware of world events. But uh, that said, though, I do get this feeling and I do definitely hear the idea of it's impossible. And that's, of course,
1: a load of nonsense. They tell you you can't learn to speak Chinese fluently. The pronunciation is so difficult. There are so many characters, you'll never remember them. And sometimes you tell yourself these things too. Exactly. Exactly. So
0: it's only when you tell yourself that these things are true that it starts to actually become a problem. Like, I mean, if somebody tells you that you can't remember all the characters or the pronunciation so hard, and they're not currently trying to continue... Then I mean, just whatever, shrug it off because they didn't persist, they didn't uh, persevere, and so you know it's easy enough to shrug off. But it is something that you can look at and feel a bit. Um, if you start to take in their negativity, it's it can become something that you actually start to believe. And when you start to believe it, that's when they got you. That's when their negativity actually affected your own life. And so. Uh, yeah, don't let that happen. It's like, it's so silly because the other thing too about it is that Chinese gets really easy once you get enough characters under your belt. It gets really easy. It's such a simple language once you get down to the nitty gritty of the grammar. And, uh, and of course, now that Pronunciation Mastery is free, you know, what's wrong with the pronunciation? You have no problem with pronunciation. Now, how are you going to remember the characters? The Mandarin Blueprint method. And I'm sure that a lot of uh, Chris Parker's resources are excellent in that area too. I saw that he has a pronunciation course as well and I'm sure, you know, it's excellent.
1: Sometimes you get that feeling that you just can't understand anything, or you think you're saying something right, but the other person just can't understand you, or you forget a word or a character for the 10th time.
0: Yeah, so this thing about that you forget a word or a character for the 10th time, how about you just think of it like this? That's going to happen, right? And it's, if you know it's going to happen… It's going to happen less if you use the right methods, but it's going to happen. I mean, there's so many characters and words, and then you're not going to be exposed to one for a while, or a word for a while, and then you're just going to forget it, and whatever. It's Of course it's going to happen. You're not taking into account, when you have that thought, how many words and characters you didn't forget, which is way more than the ones that you did forget. So when that, if you just have the attitude of, yes, of course that's going to happen, then you'll You know, when it arrives, it's not surprising. And then you just shrug it off.
1: Believe me, I've been there. But when you start to spot patterns, the characters start to make a little more sense. And the more you discover about the culture, the more interesting it gets. You pick up words and then phrases. And little by little, you learn to express yourself. When you realize you can have whole conversations in Chinese, the feeling is amazing. When the other person can understand what you say, when they compliment you on how well you speak, when you gain a whole new way of expressing yourself, when you can understand without.
0: I just want to comment on what he said about people complimenting you on what, um how you speak, first of all, you're going to get that very early um, because Chinese people are so polite and they don't have an expectation that you should learn Mandarin. They think, oh yeah, our language is hard. Oh, you're trying to learn it. Wow. Great job. And so they're very nice about that. It's kind of the opposite of the way a lot of Americans feel towards people who aren't speaking English in certain areas of America. They're kind of, and yeah, I've heard similar things about, uh, Parisians perhaps. Uh, but that is something that, you know, China should be pat itself in the back for is that they don't, they don't, you know, expect that. And then when you do, they're very complimentary, but the compliments, I think, start to lose a little bit of their luster when you realize that everybody kind of compliments you. It's like kind of, if you're going to compliment everybody, it sort of lowers the value of the compliment. So really the real thing that makes you feel amazing, the thing that makes you go, Oh yeah, this is the good stuff is when you are speaking to someone and you're, you're looking in their eyes or, or you know, you're know, you having an engaged conversation and you see them smile or you see them laugh and you have a back and forth that's jovial and fun and connected or it's a deep conversation where you make them think about something differently where the sound vibrations going out of your mouth and entering their ear cause a, an understanding that changes their emotional state and maybe changes it for the better, that's, I mean, because you're a Westerner, you have a different perspective, or I mean, not all of you watching are Westerners, but there's a perspective that you have that's outside of China, that Chinese people are more than happy to listen to and are curious about, and so when you can express yourself and put that perspective into their mind, and that will change potentially the way that they uh, behave or, or do something differently in their life, maybe you inspire them, that's when you go, yes, this was worth it. The discipline, the perseverance, the persistence, it was absolutely worth it because you built up the ability to communicate in this way. And you know, Chinese people are so cool. And now that's them learning from you. You can also start to really learn from them, but I'll keep going here. Titles. What you he said here is when you can understand without the subtitles, which yeah, it's a great feeling.
1: When you travel, make new friends or do business, you would never have been able to do without the language. If you refuse to believe that it's too difficult, or that you're too old, or too busy, or it's too late. If you see difficult characters and pronunciation as a challenge, and you're willing to take things one step at a time, instead of expecting everything to happen overnight. If you see every mistake and frustration as a chance to learn, and you persist, then you too will become fluent in Mandarin. Love it,
0: love it. Chris Parker from Fluent Mandarin is just great stuff. You know, there's this great Jocko Willink uh, video, just called "Good," and he just talks about how whenever you run into a, a an error or something that doesn't go your way or something doesn't happen the way you had planned, just say "good," right? Because there's you want to say, "Well, it's bad though." Like I did, I forgot a word. It's bad. It's like, well. No, because here you are in this moment. You have an opportunity to solidify the word. So instead of getting frustrated and and bent out of shape about forgetting something, you just go, oh, here's my moment. This is the moment right now. This is the moment to solidify my understanding of this particular way of speaking and how to express myself in this way. And... You know, the idea of the negative self talk and the idea that, oh, I'm too old, you know, really forget that idea about being too old. The Mandarin Blueprint Method has taught me something, which is that the older you are, the more experiences you have to glean from, which are the fodder by which you make your mnemonic visualizations and connect your personal lived experience to new Chinese words. So, The older you are, the more advantage you have in that particular area. And so maybe young people have an advantage of being a little bit quicker on the draw with some of their, you know, just processing power in their brain. But then uh, they have fewer experiences. So they have fewer experiences to glean from. And so um, definitely get rid of that idea. And then, of course, the idea uh, that he mentioned there of taking it one step at a time. Well, we understand that so much that we're like, that's exactly how we're going to design the Mandarin blooper method. We want you to just be able to go next video, do the thing on the next page, next lesson, what's on the page, do that. And then just say, I'm going to keep doing that and be, and just persist. You persist long enough, you will succeed. And then you will reach critical mass. So there is a point where you stop having to consciously make the effort of course it's called fluency it's like when you get to fluency and literacy what's going to happen is that you've reached that point of critical mass where you no longer need to put conscious effort you can unconsciously acquire the language uh continually i would say for me it happened i don't know somewhere around two years two years of study but you could do it faster because i was trying to figure it out all along the way you just because once you reach the point where you can just pick up a book and just go all right what's next in the book and just enjoy the book. Well, I mean, you're acquiring language. You're acquiring the F out of language at that point, you know, so, um, yeah, I, I love this video. Thank you, Chris Parker, for taking the time to really articulate this so well. Also, I appreciate the simplicity of this video. It's just him speaking with text on the screen, which is like, you know, sometimes we'll, we'll like agonize over a video and how well we're doing it. And it's like, hey, this is a, this kind of gets to the point really quickly. So, um. Again, fluentinmandarin.com. check it out. All right. Next, we're going to talk about props. So the next several uh, comments come from the course in Pick a Prop Lesson. So what we mean by Pick a Prop is select a 3D object like a book or like a, a comb or whatever and have it represent a Chinese character component. Now, the way you do this is you either base it on how the component looks. So if it you know happens to look like something like a, a pure vertical line, we'll make that a stick, but not as any stick, make it like Gandalf's staff, right? Looks like it, perfect, easy. Or you base it on what the component means. So some components are pure components. They're only ever used as a component. And then some components are also full characters. So, um, you know, for example, the, the character ko, which is just a square. It's just a, imagine a square that's the character call well it's the left side component and the top component sometimes of many other characters so it's a character but it's also a component in other characters and so then if we're going to pick a prop to represent it well how about a mouth of some sort because that's what the original character meant so that's what we're going to be doing here and we're going to talk about how this works so if you are curious about what the characters look like remember look down in the show notes and each of these characters is listed on the screen. So, um, and hopefully, will our editor will put in some, uh, put it on the screen here as well. So, and if you're listening to the podcast, check the notes. Jim says on character number 62, Shao, which is spoon. He says I chose a Chinese style spoon as my prop because a Chinese spoon looks more concave and indented than a typical Western spoon. So, uh, if you haven't been to China. First of all, I mean, obviously they use chopsticks, but that doesn't mean they don't use spoons at all. But usually, the spoon they use is a, um, it's it's a porcelain ceramic spoon, and um, it's uh, white, and it has like a little bit of a flat bottom, and you know, it's usually used for eating rice and stuff, and soup and all of that. And those spoons are, of course, related to China, so it'll probably be easier for Jim to make that connection to the Chinese uh, character for spoon. But he also uh, might want to make it bigger, you know, like because if you just imagine a spoon by itself – like, oh, actually, this just made me think of something. So I've got this comb here. Uh, if you've ever seen the movie Spaceballs, there's a scene where they're saying uh, comb the desert to see what you can find. And they – of course, Mel Brooks takes it literally and they have a giant comb that they're running across the desert sand <laughs> you know, to comb the desert. And uh, that giant comb, well, that's an example of what you want to do with your props. Make it so absurd that your brain knows, okay, that's an important aspect of this visualization. If you just make it a regular size spoon – you're more likely to forget it because it just seems like an everyday object. But if you make it bigger, if you make it glowing or neon pink or whatever, it'll be much easier to remember in the scene. Um, okay, so next we have on character sixty-four the character look. Now we recommend a hatchet for this because the character look when it's used a prop in a prop as other characters as a prop in other characters, it um it just kind of looks like. One side of it is a sharp uh, end, and you could have it could act as a hatchet. So, what Jim says here is L and Z, the very next character, looks similar. Now, Z means child, and the horizontal stroke represents the arms of the child. So, if you imagine the characters L and Z next to each other, that's the only main difference between them. And so, you could imagine the arms. So, what he did is he says, Okay, then L is just the, a child but with no arms. and it's like you know that doesn't mean that. by the way it doesn't have to be graphic it doesn't have to be like their arms were cut off and they're in horrible pain or something Uh, it's more just like they just don't have any and then that will be very memorable you know it's it's not very it's not very pleasant necessarily but it's quite memorable so that's perfectly fine Uh, and next character so the very next character we suggested a child some kind of iconic child and we I think we recommended a child prodigy as a possibility and so what Jim did he said all right well child prodigy Mozart Mozart's like the might be the most iconic child prodigy of all time and I think he's right because you know uh Mozart was like writing symphonies at something like four years old he was out of out of his mind talented and he also Mozart just as a side point he wrote in ink he never made mistakes Bach was the same way. You know, Beethoven made mistakes all the time. He was just, like, agonizing over his music. And in some ways, I think that's why Beethoven is, like, kind of a little bit better. <laughs> anyway, so next, character number 74, Shang, which is means above. And he's uh, picking a prop for when it's in other characters. And he says a lightning rod from the roof of the house because it's always on the top of the house. That's the idea. You want to think about what's the nature of this. It means above. Well, is there anything that's always above? Well, you can think of that. Then that's a perfect representation of it, so long as it makes sense to you and it relates to the meaning of the character. Next we have Julian on character fifty-five, So this is a uh, a moon. the The meaning of the character is moon, and it's going to be used in a lot, a lot of other characters. It also, as a component, it actually also has the meaning of flesh. So this is one of the few props where we say you can have a two alternates. So, like, you have the the moon, if that's more its meaning in the character, or you could have, like, a giant walking, talking stake or something to represent flesh. And uh, he says, you were right, Phil, mooning was a terrible prop. So, uh, he originally thought, why don't I just have my actor mooning, like, you know, revealing your posterior. Why don't I just have my actor mooning the, you know, other elements of the scene? But we said, eh, that's not the best way to do it, though, because... That is an action, and you really want the action of the scene to be what's representing the meaning of the character, not the character components. So uh, he said, "You're right, Phil. Mooning was a terrible prop. I ended up going with a disco ball or one of those mirror balls, uh, which is sufficiently moonlike. It works quite well for making scenes that are concert parties, discos, etc. But really, Julian doesn't even have to just be concert part concerts, parties, or discos. You know, because there could be just some absurdism to it. Like it could be a very formal occasion. Everybody is like ready. Like you imagine people in a courtroom and they're all very serious and somber and just while that's happening, there's a disco ball like creating the light in the room and it's like dark and creating that that reflection. It's also very visually iconic. You walk into any room that has a disco ball going and you just, when I think of that, I have feelings come up of like, you know, uh, at any time I've been in that situation, which is usually a context of, hanging out with people, relaxing, having a good time. So that's great, because the more visual it is, the easier it is to remember. Excellent choice, and yeah, it is enough like a moon. Spherical object that reflects light. I mean, hey, the moon is not giving off any of its own light. It's reflecting light, just like the disco ball. So, all right. Next, Julian again on character 168, which is the main character in the Chinese word which means to make a choice and there's a bunch of other words that's used in but it's probably the most common one. And the right side component of this is a mix of our component for a horse's head and uh, the character for large which could be a number of different things but maybe Clifford the Big Red Dog is a good uh, choice because it's also "da," the character This uh, basically just looks like a person with their hands out like this. Uh, that component is also quite related to dogs in ancient chinese so you know clifford the big red dog is a good choice but he was saying i found it difficult to integrate the horse's head and the clifford the big red dog into the scene and the next two scenes because it comes up for three characters so i combined them into one prop the eiffel tower because if you look at this character it kind of looks in this component of the character the right side component it kind of looks like the eiffel tower and so I think that's fine. And so I thought I would give an insight into why we didn't make this its own prop, which is purely a choice. It's not something that is right or wrong. And it's perfectly fine that Julian made this the Eiffel Tower. Um, the reason we didn't make this its own prop is because this right side component, uh, in all characters of frequency in Chinese, when, where this right side component comes up, it's never combined with more than one more. And we have a rule, which is that We don't want to go over three props in a scene because then it starts to get a little bit tenuous. you got to remember your actor, your set, which room in the set to represent the Chinese tone. you got to remember your your three props, and then you want to make them interact to create the meaning of the story. If you start to have four props, five props, it gets a little bit hard to remember everything. So we try to keep it under three. And because this one will never go over three, we thought, well, we're not going to waste your time teaching you another prop. And there's also another thing, which is that the Eiffel Tower – is symmetrical, and this uh, prop is not. And then later, there is a component called uh, Yang, which is the um, uh, a character that looks just like the Eiffel Tower. It's very symmetrical. It's, it's, ju- it's exactly this character with that little open bit on the end closed off. And so maybe that would be better for the Eiffel Tower. But, you know, all things considered, it's uh, perfectly fine what Julian did here. Okay, now next, Jim on character number eighty nine e for picking a prop. This is a pictograph of an arrow. so you can kind of see the tip of the arrow. And uh, what he said here is uh, he wanted to change this to Cupid's arrow, so that instead of the arrow killing people in his scenes, it makes them fall in love. And I think that's charming. So perfectly fine. I you know, we're some people like to have their scenes be, crazy and violent and raunchy and and sexual and all that. And then other people like their scenes to be very PG. And I think that that's, it doesn't, it's all okay. The main thing is that you emotionally connect with the scene based on your lived experience. And so, you know, and also even the the memory champions and the memory uh, athletes, the people who compete in these like memory feat competitions, they'll even say that violence and sexuality, while they are effective, they're kind of beginner techniques. They're kind of like, oh well, I don't know what to do, so why don't I just make this scene like really violent because we're evolved to react to that? But you know, I think that in the end of the day, if you can get to something that's deeper than that, you'll have a better time. Okay, next. Like people falling in love with Cupid's arrow. That's that's pretty pretty deep stuff. Next, Jim on character ninety two shou, which is hand. That's the character for hand. He's picking a prop for this, and he said uh, Edward Scissorhands. And great, yeah, right, because like that's exactly his tu is what you would say in Chinese. So his special point is literally what that means. Tu dien, and so the that's what you would defining characteristic basically his defining characteristic is his hands so the idea of having edward scissorhands represent show is perfectly good so whenever there's a scene that has show in it it will be edward scissorhands for jim Uh, and it could be for you too And then next, we have Matt Bowlby on character number 65, which is also the pick-a-prop for the child. He chose Doogie Howser, M.D., and I believe that was Neil Patrick Harris' character. I did not actually ever watch that show, but I believe he was a child, and so it was like a child doctor, and that's obviously silly. Children shouldn't be doctors, probably. Um, And so that's a pretty iconic figure there, representing child. Perfect. All right. Next, we have a full scene and this is actually a set of scenes coming from Chad that we're gonna we'll break them up a little bit but there's a sequence of characters in our um, course from character number 49 to 53 where they're building off of each other and so it's a really cool spot to kind of um, you know really understand how the method works but this comes from character number 49. Tian, which means one thousand, right? It's the or thousand because you could have liang tian, san So thousand is the key word here. So his location is outside his grandmother's house. The reason he's outside the front entrance is because first tone. Um, and then his actor is Shu uh, Qi, which is a Chinese actress. Again, again, Chad loves the uh, Chinese uh, uh, movies. I, I, I looked up Shu Qi. Uh, her Wikipedia page. Um, and she is, yeah, so it'd be, uh, Qi. I've just looked up her characters here, Qi, And that is, she's really cute. (laughs) So when I found the page, I was like, Ooh, good choice, Chad. All right. So, and then his props are the samurai sword and the cross. That's, um, you know, the, the samurai sword is the top stroke and then the cross is the, you know, plus sign basically that comes under it. So this is a simple looking character. And he says, my girlfriend and I are sitting outside of my grandma's house during a garage sale. Chi comes to the garage sale and brings a giant glass cross to the table that we are selling and starts asking me questions about it. But she is being a little too friendly with me. And then all of a sudden, my girlfriend grabs a samurai sword and gives this huge glass cross a whack. Um... Across the top of it, it falls over and shatters into a thousand pieces in the actual shape of a cross. Shuqi leaves, and I get in trouble. And so, like, the fact that I looked her up and saw how cute she was, I'm like, oh, yeah, this is a totally, like, believable scene in a movie. You know, you imagine that there's this, you know, beautiful... Uh, Chinese actress coming up and she's starting to get a little little too friendly and then a girlfriend comes over and is jealous or whatever and she's so jealous that she has a g- samurai sword. I mean like so much about these scenes is about being uh, absurdly over-exaggerated, right? So it's like of course like if, if you're a little upset in the real world it'd be like hmm maybe i'll say something to him later right and it's like maybe i'll even make a rude remark or something but you wouldn't just pull out a samurai sword right so it's silly but it's also in the right emotional context right so she's mad she comes over with the samurai sword she knocks over the cross and then this idea that falls down and and it breaks into a thousand pieces while remaining in the shape of the cross but in a thousand pieces um I think this is okay, and we believe in the video for this one. The uh, the guest, maybe it was Tim, I can't remember, but the guest in the uh, video, I think they had the same idea. And you know, it's one of those things that it's, there's nothing specifically about a thousand. You know, it could be. I mean, who's to say it's not, you know, two thousand pieces that it broken to, but. That's such a phrase, oh, it broke into a thousand pieces. For people, it's either a thousand or a million. <laughs> it's a, oh, it's broken to a million pieces, broken to a thousand pieces. That's such a common phrase, and it's probably enough. And remember, you've got everything else in the scene so clear, right? You've got Shu Qi, and she's making the girlfriend jealous, jealous, so she's actively involved in the scene. Uh, you know, they've got the samurai sword. And the samurai sword is used to knock over the glass cross. So everything about the scene is super clear. The only thing that might not be clear enough is the idea that it means thousand. But because everything else is clear, it should be fine. And so I bet that he'll remember that no problem. So, great. And, you know, as always, you can always add some special effects to it. You know, you could have um, (laughs) maybe some an angle on the girlfriend at first when she's at the garage sale and she hasn't noticed anything happening yet. And then suddenly the camera pans over to Shuqi uh, and Chad and and they're, you know, she can see them talking. And then like the camera pans back to the girlfriend and she gets a look of a the- annoyance on her face and then she suddenly is very intense and pulls out her samurai sword and walks over and there's there's like music and and maybe even rumbling her she's so angry that the earth is rumbling below her like you know there's all sorts of things you can do in your mind to make it all the more memorable next also from chad two characters later we have hua this character means talk or speech like one's speech uh, your words hurt me that type of thing you know that that's sort of the meaning of hua and it's also used at the end of, you know, a region or a country to indicate the language of that place. So it's very useful to just throw hua at the end of something if you don't know that, how to say the language. Like, usually there's a better word for the language. But, you know, say, for example, Cantonese. Cantonese is 月语, 月语. It would be the proper way to say it. But if you wanted, you could say 廣東話,廣東話. Because Guangdong is the province where everybody speaks Cantonese and it borders Hong Kong. So people do that in Hong Kong as well. But if you wanted to say Guangdonghua, that's exactly... A Chinese person will know exactly what you mean. So, Yuenanhua would be Vietnamese because Yuenan is the Chinese word for Vietnam. And so, Yuenanhua would, of course, be Vietnamese. So that gives you an idea of what it means. So how did Chad come up with a scene for hua? Well, the location is the backyard of his first apartment. It's backyard because it's fourth tone. And fourth tone either takes place in the backyard or the bathroom. And his actor is Ha Huo which is Donnie Yen's character in Kung Fu Killer. Um, I haven't seen uh, this movie, but I did uh, look up some pictures from it, and it looks awesome. Donnie Yen's pretty cool. I don't know if you've ever seen uh, Ip Man or any of those, but he's... He's pretty awesome. I like him a lot. Anyway, so um, Chad says uh, that he props with a megaphone and Gene Simmons' tongue. I love that as a prop for tongue. So the left side component is the speech component, naturally, in a character like, but that means speech. You can expect to see the speech component, and that's a megaphone. Pretty clear. And then you've got Gene Simmons. Uh, It's really – he has here Gene Simmons' tongue, but it's really Gene Simmons as a whole person because – he has potentially the most iconic tongue of any person, but certainly in rock and roll. He's the lead singer of KISS. So, here's his scene. Gene Simmons is performing classic KISS songs in the backyard of my first apartment. But he is singing them in Mandarin. Along comes Ha Mo, who starts speaking to Gene in Cantonese through a megaphone. Gene Simmons, not recognizing the language, sticks his tongue out at him and keeps singing in Mandarin. So... I hold up a sign to Gene that reads, that's Cantonese talk. And he just sticks his tongue out at me and sings rock and roll all night. So visually, I love this scene. I think it's really fun. The idea of Gene Simmons giving a concert in the backyard of your first apartment, like, I mean, that would be so cool. You know, and you want to put yourself emotionally in that situation if possible. You want to imagine, how would I really react in this situation? Uh, I think you could use a little bit of editing for this simple reason. The props are all clear, the location's clear, your actor's clear, that's fine. But the ultimate thing that makes you think of the definition is the word talk being on the sign that you're putting up towards them. And of course, it goes back to what I was saying before, Putonghua and Hua uh, uh, would be the way that you would refer to Mandarin and Cantonese, uh, just throw "hua" at the end, and that's like, you know, that's Mandarin talk or that's Cantonese talk. But that requires it kind of sort of assumes a knowledge of Chinese before you learn the character so I don't think that's enough I think you need to have something more visual but here's how you might do it because speech is not exactly um you know it's not exactly a clear thing visually I mean you can see somebody talking but why is that the important thing so what you might want to think about is how you could show contrast how you could think about what does Gene Simmons normally do? Well, what Gene Simmons normally does is put on rock concerts, right? And so if suddenly in the middle of his concert, he started giving a speech and ha mo comes over with a podium and like sets up the podium for him in the middle of the concert so that he can start giving a speech, that would be something so visually profound, clear that it's uh, about speech, because it's not something Gene Simmons would normally do, that it would be a bit more visual. But just to be clear, uh, Chad very well may remember this scene the way that he did it. Uh, It's just that you always want to be thinking about three months to six months from now when you're seeing the Yankee review and you're trying to remember the components of the character and what it meant. It's possible you'll forget because, of course, text in and of itself, we're not as good at remembering it as we are visual elements. So... Uh, hence the reason why we even use mnemonic visualization in the first place. All right. Next, this is a comment on the un- Unit 1 Introduction to Mandarin Pronunciation, which is the very first video, I believe, or, or it's close to the first video in the Pronunciation Mastery. This is looking to be a great course. I've studied for about six months on and off. My pronunciation of syllables and pairs is pretty accurate, people tell me. Where I'm struggling is intonation within sentences, flowing sentences, so hopefully they'll be covered eventually, I'm watching all as a review. Thanks. So this goes back to what I was saying at the beginning of the podcast about shadowing. And so again, check the link at the beginning of the podcast uh, notes about where you can see Luke's video on shadowing. And that is what helps you with flowing sentences, you know, but you can't get to that point before you understand all of the tone pairs and how to articulate all of the individual uh, problem initials and just all the initials and all of the finals. You need to know how they work, how they pair together, and then from that point, you can get to flowing in sentences by reading, listening, and speaking dialogue at the same time. That's the best way UN interpreters practice that way. It's, It's really the best way to gain that flow, but you got to build up to it. And the best way to build up to it is not to kind of rush it. You need to get to a point where you have enough vocabulary that the things that you're saying are actually comprehensible to you as well, because otherwise you're just kind of making sounds. And there is a benefit to it in the sense that it's like going to the gym for your mouth muscles. You're working out your, your, the mouth, the muscles around your mouth cavity and all of that. And that's, you know, obviously useful to do, but it is important that you understand what you're saying so that you're more connected to it. And also so that you're more likely to do it. You know, you want to feel like I might actually say this someday. So the practicing of it is not a waste of time. Okay, uh, so that will be covered later. And, and also, yeah, I'm glad to see that you're uh, enjoying the course so far. So getting back to Chad's scenes about this series of characters. We have character 52, Huat, the very next character after Huat. And so because it, it starts off with H.U., it'll be the same actor again. It'll be Ha And this time, because it's an O final, it will be in his brother-in-law Joey's house. So O, oh, Joey. Sure, I can see that connection. Easy. Brother-in-law Joey's house, and it should be probably in the kitchen, I suppose. Yeah, it's going to be in the kitchen because the second tone. You could choose just inside the entrance, but uh, in this case, Chad chose the kitchen. His props are a hose and Gene Simmons again. So we've got the tongue on the right. And this time it's a hose because the left side component is the water component, the three dots water component. And so uh, a hose, sure, water comes out of a hose. All right. So I'm hanging out with my family at the in-laws house after the Kiss concert. All of a sudden, Gene Simmons staggers into the house and collapses in the kitchen dead, laying on the floor with his tongue hanging out. Everyone starts yelling that Gene Simmons is dead and tries to revive him using CPR. <laughs> I'm just imagining this scenario. Okay. Nothing is working when all of a sudden, ha bursts into the house with a hose in his hands. He sprays Gene Simmons' tongue with the water, and Gene suddenly wakes up and starts singing, I'm alive from the 1985 al- album Asylum. Boom! Chad, you nailed it! That's the best! That's excellent! excellent scene and the reason why is because he even managed to pull in a kiss song like that's perfect it's just like sometimes it just works out that way you know you have a you have a prop or you have an actor who just perfectly fits the scene i mean you know don't try to force it if an if an actor doesn't fit the scene you know you, there's other ways to make it happen but occasionally it's just this it's just this moment of Yes, exactly. First of all, he's dead first. He becomes alive. So that enough, that in and of itself would probably be enough. But the fact that he wakes up and then starts singing I'm Alive, you're never going to forget that. I, I see no way that you'll forget that. It's awesome. Okay, the very next character uh, is Luan. And so this time we have the L.U. character. And this is um going to be... His actor is a guy named uh, Lu Jianxing. And Lu Jianxing, I believe, is... Was he the guy from Brotherhood of Blades? I believe so. Well, anyway, so the, the idea here is that, um, yeah, yeah, it's a, uh, Lu Jianxing is the is a character in the movie Brotherhood of Blades. So uh, there's a Wikipedia link in the notes for this movie. Man, Chad really likes his uh, Chinese movies. It's awesome. And so he's in the backyard of his grandma's house. Once again, he's has Lu Jianxing as his actor because it's Luan. And then he's got Gene Simmons' tongue and large hooks. So he says here, I'm in the backyard of my grandma's house with family as we celebrate the 4th of July with a KISS concert. So once again, I love it. It's just like everything's KISS concerts with the tongue. Um, They're right in the middle of Crazy, Crazy Nights, which is a song by KISS, but the fireworks show is set to begin and KISS will get off stage. From the right-hand side, I see Lu Jianxing, Approaching the stage with a giant hook, which is the right side component in Lan, with a giant hook, he gestures to Gene Simmons to exit, but Gene just sticks out his tongue. It sticks his tongue right at him. With that, Lu Sing uses a giant hook to yank Gene off the stage. Right at that moment, fireworks begin going off and chaos ensues, ensues on stage as a brawl breaks out. Okay, so the meaning of this character is chaos, Lan, chaos, and it can also just mean messy, which is kind of cool. Like, it's like, uh, the way that Chinese conceptualize just having a messy room is it's chaos. And so um, everybody has a different conception of chaos. And this is perfectly fine. Like, you know, things get pretty chaotic. But what I would say is a small little adjustment you can make to make it even clearer that the meaning of this is chaos. Because the props and the actor, that's all fine. That's all working well. Is maybe at the beginning of the concert, everybody is sitting in a perfectly orderly way and they're not and they're not even really dancing they're just kind of like clapping after the song in a perfect way and then putting their hands back down and just being very super overly orderly however you can exaggerate people being orderly have that go first and then when the uh hook pulls gene off stage the chaos is more contrasting right it's like oh wow look at this uh, chaotic situation it was just so orderly and so that would be some very clear contrast that would get the meaning across Alright, nice. Next we have a question from Yarden, which is from character 120, pa, which means to be afraid. And it's from the it's a word lesson. So the whenever there's a character that is also a word, we'll tell you and we'll give a few example sentences. And in one of the sentences, ni pa shy ma? ni pa shy ma? And that means the the character shy is a top down word there. And so we give the pronunciation for it because it's not a character that we've introduced thus far. And uh Yarden asks, what's the meaning of shy? Is it to get burned? Because we give an example, uh, in the, with every top down word, we provide some definitions and it is a bit of a strange word. Uh, it kind of means to bask, to bask, like you'll bask in the sun, right? And the, the components indicate this because the left side component is a sun component and the right side component is the component for west or she, And then of course, shy has a similar sort of initial sound a little bit. And so you can see how that's a phonetic clue, but what you want to look at with something like this is what comes after it to know the situation. If you want to get into more detail about what it really means. So shy means to bask, but there are different possible results of basking in the sun. And the reason why this, this sentence might exist in China is because it's funny in, in Chengdu, which is a pretty cloudy city, when you'll see more umbrellas when it's a sunny day than when it's a um, rainy day. And it's because the sort of belief here, especially amongst uh, women, is that less tanned skin is more attractive. And, you know, these cultural things, they come and go. It's like when I was a kid, tanner skin was really attractive, apparently, to all the um, uh, girls I knew in my age group. But... It comes and goes uh, with different cultural periods. but at the moment the idea here in China amongst a lot of women is that tan skin is less attractive. So the reason why somebody might be afraid of shy or basking in the sun is because they don't want to get too uh, dark or tan. and that so that leads me to a few words you could use with shy to kind of get a sense of it. So the first one is shy hei which means to bask in the sun with the result of becoming darker or hey. So, shai hey means to tan, right? And so that's the construction of the word. There's a verb, shai, to bask, and then there's a result, hey to become darker, to become dark. Now, there's another one, which is shai shang, shai shang, and that means to get a bad sunburn. It's like shang means wound or injury, right? So you basked in the sun to the point where you're, you know, like you're, you're injured. It's a problem and it's a serious sunburn. You could also say shai hong, which means that the result of you basking in the sun is that you became red, hong. And so that could be, I mean, it's what happens every single time I go out in the sun. Uh, So, you know, it's not necessarily a severe sunburn, but it is an indication of a bit of a burn. So... Shy, in and of itself, isn't necessarily ind- indicative of anything more than basking in the sun. But there are a lot of words uh, that start with shy and then have a result after it, like he or shang or hong. So hopefully that helps, Yarden. All right, next. This comes from the email from a guy named Craig Cavanaugh. He is a former student of ours. When we used to teach the course live a couple years ago, uh, we start this bit of the history of the Mandarin Blueprint is that we taught the course live to people in Chengdu uh, when we were first developing it. And then we moved it to live online classes. And then we turned it into the video course, which now, you know, it takes up all of our uh, energy and time. And it's what we wanted because it's the, you know, the only thing that's possibly scalable. Uh, And so Craig was there in the very early days. And he, we had answered an email of his, giving him some more information, uh, cause he's getting back into Mandarin learning. He'd done a little bit of a break from it and coming back to it. He says, uh, hi, thanks for that. You guys are the best. I can definitely see the benefit of link, which is L I N G Q.com. Excellent site for intermediate to advanced learners. I would say for beginners, it's not necessarily the best for, for intermediate and advanced. It's very good. Um, it's been a gr- it's been great for some top down learning and for getting clips to listen to on the go. But I'll probably be more useful when I'm back in the flow of things. Hence why you know I recommend it for intermediate to advanced learners. And uh, the top down learning basically means you know learning new words that he didn't learn by learning the components and doing a mnemonic scene. He just learns it through context purely. All right, and he says I started the pronunciation course and loved the bonus videos with you guys chatting about your experiences with learning early on i had the exact situation luke mentioned with the wide eyes and subsequent deluge of chinese when i said which basically means happy to meet you (laughs) and if you say it with good pronunciation people will go oh my gosh you speak chinese and then they'll just start you know giving you a deluge of chinese because they assume that you can speak it because your pronunciation is so good which is kind of like a good uh feeling in a way but it's also kind of like oh you don't understand i don't know enough vocabulary yet um it's actually what made me decide to focus on learning again and that I wasn't a complete lost cause. Major credit goes to both of your help back in Chengdu. I can see that the course has only improved since since then, so I'm looking forward to seeing what else you have in store. Exactly. The best part of having good pronunciation is the confidence it builds in you. Like, he was going to quit. He's going to quit. And then he said to somebody, ni. and they went, oh my gosh, that guy's Chinese is sick. And that made him go i can do it i this is completely possible pronunciation makes you gain confidence if it's good and it really kills your confidence if it's bad because if it's bad then you you know you get these sort of like what 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 did you say all right well i'll just politely smile and be awkward whereas if you get it right people are first of all they're relieved and then they'll just happily talk to you and then you know and as you build up your vocabulary you'll have less of the subsequent oh i guess you don't know as much chinese as it seemed like but then soon you will and then you're going to have great pronunciation along with it and you're just going to be awesome just gonna be an awesome person who knows mandarin all right next we have from jim this is a comment on the bonus video this secret will put you light years ahead in chinese which is uh one of our um launch content videos so he says I think part of the reason why children and young people pick up languages easily is that they learn languages for the sake of learning them. Children don't really have specific goals when learning a language. They learn for fun through stories, games, and immersion. Maybe their parents enroll them in a dual language program or after-school activities for Chinese, Spanish, etc. Sometimes not setting goals for learning frees you up to learn the language and enjoy it just for what it is. It's generally not good when adults are called out for acting like babies or children, but I think babies and children are good at learning for learning's sake. And then he puts in a quote here from Alfred Mercier. What we learn with pleasure, we never forget. It's a good quote. Yeah, I think it's it's true. Adults have to-do lists, schedules, and projects to to take care of, and so they're always in the mindset of goals or asking the question, what's in it for me? If a person finds learning Chinese or any other language interesting or fun, then they should continue learning whether or not they've explicitly stated goals. Another example would be reading. People can read without any specific goal in mind. They can read a book for leisure or for pleasure. Some people read in order to write a research paper or study for an exam, so they have a goal. Keep learning, feeding the language module, reviewing with Anki every day to develop a lasting memory of the language and have a skill for life. And so... You know, this is an interesting topic because it's essentially the topic of how much should you make Chinese just a part of your life, a a habitual activity that doesn't even require thought, and how much should you, you know, set an aim and move towards that aim and, you know, kind of have more of a goal-based, target-based approach. And, you know, I've moved, I've done all of it. I've done all of the various things. I'm certainly in the state that he's talking about now, whereas Where I don't really have any set goals with Chinese, I just am surrounded by it all day and I read novels all the time and I I read Chinese articles all the time because it's just a part of my life now. But I definitely did use goals when I started off. Uh, So it's kind of, I think if the, the, the happy medium between the two, because sure, the ideal situation is that you just love learning for learning's sake like a child does. I mean, you know, it's interesting. I don't know that I necessarily agree that children love learning language for the language sake as much as it is just necessity for them because they, they, maybe they have a goal of communicating with their parents. You know, it's like they certainly seem to cry and be upset when they can't successfully communicate with their parents. So there seems to be some level of short term goal of needing to communicate with their parents. And so acquiring the language becomes this necessity because they don't have anything else. Like if you're learning Mandarin, you can, Revert back to your native language if it's your second language, but kids don't have anything else that so they have to learn. But, you know, there is definitely a lack of self consciousness that kids have. They don't have as much, you know, oh, I said something wrong or I did this thing uh, not the way that I was supposed to. So therefore, I'm, uh, you know, uh, I'll have this negative self talk. They don't have that, which is great. But I'm not necessarily convinced that they don't have a goal. Um, and so I think the happy medium is that if you have a goal, the goal needs to be clearly related to like a higher order goal. And what I mean by that is that, you know, why are you learning Chinese? If it's just for Chinese's sake, then that's amazing. But usually it's, you learn Chinese because then it will open up opportunities to for you to do something that therefore makes you what, right? And so for example, You might say, I want to learn Chinese so that I can connect with more people so that I can communicate in such a way that helps their lives, that they can help my life. And we can have a mutually beneficial, uh, you know, maturation process that is overall positive and therefore encouraging the ability for me to look at myself and say, you're a good person, right? Suppose you want to be a good father, right? Well, a good father is not an actionable goal, but it is the result of many actionable goals. So if you articulated it down, so like, okay, so be a good father means spend time with your children, means take care of their necessities, means, uh, you know, be attentive and all of that type of thing. Uh, Well, okay, spend time with them. Okay, how do you spend time with them? Well, you uh, go to sports, you do whatever. And then suppose that you found out that like, uh, you know, giving them, little tickles, you know, like maybe t- giving little kids little tickles, maybe you find out that's horribly traumatic. Like some new scientific study comes out and it's like, oh, tickling a child is horribly traumatic for them. <laughs> and we didn't know because they were laughing. So we thought it was fine, but it turns out, oh no, it's terrible. Well, that's an example of where your individual action was originally intended to meet a goal, but you realize, oh, it didn't, didn't fit. Right, And so you just change the action. You wouldn't want to say, I'm a bad father now, nor if you make a mistake in your Chinese learning, say, oh, well, I'm bad at learning Chinese or I'm not a good citizen of the world or something like that. That's way too big of a leap. You just want to adjust the actionable behaviors. And if you can see this behavior that I'm doing right now, this Anki card that I'm looking at right now, this paragraph of text that I'm looking at right now, if you can emotionally understand how that is connected to your higher order goal of successfully learning Chinese so that you can, you know, communicate with more people and be a good person, whatever your personal higher or higher order goal is, and you can see how you're going to get there and how what you're doing right now connects to that, then I think that's very powerful. It's very powerful because it is hugely motivational. If you cannot see that connection, it's very demotivating. It's like, why am I looking at this Anki card again? I can't see the reason why. Because sometimes when you get narrowly focused, you lose your perspective and you forget why you're doing something in the first place, you know? And so (laughs) to go back to the father analogy, sometimes despite wanting to be a good father, if you're in a bad mood and you're, you're kind of in that narrow psychological frame of mind, you'll Neglect that goal for the goal of not wanting to be annoyed and the kids can be annoying sometimes so you'll be dismissive or whatever And so these are all just things that are a reminder that if you want to have goals be successful You must connect them to something that's bigger Something that's bigger than just the individual step of the day But while recognizing that those there's no way to get to something bigger other than individual small steps So It got a little philosophical there, but hey. All right, so next we have Dev Chen on tougher initials explanation video. He says, uh, my Chinese pronunciation sucks. In other words, it's absolutely atrocious. Well, let me put some. let me just say right up front. My pronunciation of every language apart from English and Chinese is also atrocious. So (laughs) everybody starts off sucking. It's just the way it is. All right, so he says, I have made it to this point. So far, and these lessons are a treasure and a delight. They represent true hope for me. A possible path for rescue from pronunciation hell. (laughs) I love this guy's, like, you know, way of getting across this point. I think that, I think the thought and effort that was put into this incredibly well-organized and comprehensive course is nothing short of phenomenal. Thank you, gentlemen, for what you have created. And so, you know, that's why we made it free. Because... This is the best way to start learning Chinese. It's the best, it's the best, it's the best. You got to have good pronunciation. Build your confidence. It makes you feel hope. It makes you feel hope. I mean, that's what you want, right? Let's feel hope for the future and not despair. So I'm so glad to hear that, Dev. Keep it up. Just, Just every day. No zero days. No zero days. That's the key. Okay, next we have a... Uh, question that came from the email, and it was also a comment in the unit one wrap-up. We had a bit of an exchange with this guy named Phil. And so he said, uh, wow, the m- mouth reverberation tip is excellent. And it was sort of something where I, I had noticed that when I'm speaking Chinese, that more of the uh, sound from originating from my vocal cords is reverberating in the mouth cavity as opposed to the throat cavity. There's three possible cavities, mouth cavity, throat cavity, and nasal cavity. The only sounds in Chinese that reverberate in the nasal cavity at all are the ones that end in n or ng, like un or ung, but they're not that much. It's a little bit, but it's not too much. So basically that leaves the mouth and throat. And when I speak English, I have a very throaty voice. It's rather low and throaty. And so if I'm falling back into old habits and I'm not really focusing on my Chinese very Chinese pronunciation in a way that is, you know, proper, I'll tend to be speaking more like I do in English with a too high of a throat articulation. And so that made, I just sort of realized that because, you know, you can catch yourself, you you, you sort of know when you're falling back into an old habit. And that's when I would hear myself in a recording or something and go, oh, you sound like an American speaking Chinese as opposed to a native. And so I was like, well, what can I do about this? Well, if I pay more attention to the sound reverberating less, you know, I, I could do this when I'm in English, I could sort of put make sure that the sound is not too much down the throat and not staying there. It's a little bit awkward to do it in English, but in Chinese, I've sort of developed that habit. So, uh, Right, if I'm speaking Chinese, I was just talking about yesterday, I spoke with my teacher about the future of Mandarin Blueprint. And it's like the the sound just, it's coming, it's, it's less, it's not hanging around in the throat is the way you could put it. It originates in the throat because that's where your vocal cords are. So it's like there's going to be some reverberation in the throat, but it just, it's like it moves out quickly. Whereas in English, when I speak English, it's almost like it stays there a little bit more and there's more uh, uh, sort of vibration. So um, when you're speaking Chinese, you might just want to put your fingers around where your vocal cords are and just try to make sure the intensity is not so high. You know, if you do that, then you'll tend to speak with a bit more uh, native-like quality. Okay, next we have a grammar question from... Oh, and also Phil just threw in here. He said, Phil, Phil talking to me, I know you've said your accent is not as good as Luke's, but your pronunciation sounds awesome. I think, you know you can have incredible pronunciation and still not be as good as Luke's Luke's got such good pronunciation that uh, you know it's just it's it, well you you guys are all lucky to have him as the uh, teacher in that course excellent pronunciation that guy legend all right so next question from Sydney Green it's a grammar question and it's from character 186. Da and so da. This character is is amazing. It does so many things, but one of them is da which means to make a phone call. So the da is the verb part of it. It's the dial, make. It's the that's that part of phone call, right? Make a phone call. And so the sentence is, "你是几点给我打的？" "你是几点给我打的？" And so he asks, "What's the function of 的? here at the end?" And that sentence means, "What time did you give me a call?" And so. The question 你是几天给我打的? would have an answer, something like, And so what's that? What's the only difference? The only difference is uh, the 几, which is the question part of it, changes to 八. So what's going on here? Well, the 是 comes right before it, which means that what the person is asking for, is an explanation of a detail. Now, you could be speculating about the future, but almost always this is about the past. It's like, when did you call me? Where did you call me from? Uh, so he could say, 你几天 wo That would be a double question, kind of. It would probably be, ni ba, ni ba this is the way you could do it. 你八天 Right, so that would be, at eight o'clock where were you when you called me right that would change the detail by putting the shirt in ahead of zai, right so that's what this how this functions this shirt duh thing now the duh is essential that was his main question is that essential and it's like yes because it's almost like you're because duh indicates possession right this gets a little bit abstract but what he's saying is like in this explanation everything that comes before the du is sort of the thing that this explanation possesses, right? And so it's a little bit too abstract to think of it that way. To be honest, it's better to think of it just as if you're trying to give an explanation of something, put the sh before the important point. 我是八点给你打的。dada. So 是在家 means it was at my home. So, like, that's the p- important point. Or, dada. It was at eight. That was the point. And so, the interesting thing is, sure can be omitted. So, I could say, dada, And that'd be fine. That'd be perfectly acceptable. But if you want to just sort of think about it in your head about what the right way to think of this is, is the 是 can go ahead of the important detail of the thing you're explaining. I'm explaining myself. The important detail comes right after the sh, whether it's location or or time or action, and then the duh has to go at the end, right? And you can emit the sh. You can emit the sh as well. But that's the idea. And so as with everything grammar, that explanation is not what you need to know. What you need is to see a lot of sentences that have that sh duh construction that you understand. And then you'll just get it naturally. Okay, cool. So, the next is a story that's an excellent story from Matt Bowlby, however, uh, just as a bit of a warning, it has it's a bit of a dark story with a violent element to it, so if you'd like to skip to the next part of the podcast, you can check the timestamps and skip it. The violent part doesn't come in until the end, so you have plenty of time to to decide to skip this one and go to uh, the next one. But this is uh, Matt Bowlby on character 61, which means sentence, as in a sentence you would write... Uh, on a paper but he uses well you'll see what he does here so his actor is joseph stalin because it's pronounced too and anything uh, will be a world leader Joseph stalin was a world leader unfortunately so he's his actor props the burrito and the rolling stones mouth so the top prop in this is the burrito because it's the component for rap so and and bag so it's like wrap something up and so inside it is a little mouth and that's the rolling stones mouth from the cover of that album so, and it's the backyard of his childhood home because, according to our system, is does not have a uh, final. So, if there's no final, it's your childhood home. Fourth tone, in the backyard. All right. So, Joseph Stalin is in the backyard of my childhood home. He is pacing between the patio and the crabapple tree. Details. Good. Eating a breakfast burrito. Prop. There is a severely malnourished prisoner lined up against the crabapple tree, waiting for his sentence homonym, death or the gulag. Stalin has form, uh, has forced him to repeat the sentence, I am a traitor, all night long, and the prisoner has nearly collapsed from exhaustion. Stalin walks up to him and stares him down. Just then, the prisoner's mouth turns into the Rolling Stones' mouth with the tongue sticking out. Next prop repeating the sentence faster and faster, now pleading for mercy as he senses the end is near. Stalin takes his burrito and shoves it into the prisoner's mouth. The burrito explodes like a grenade, blowing the prisoner's head off and delivering Stalin's death sentence. So, the A-plus scene. Excellent scene. And what he did there was he used a homonym for sentence uh, in English to remember this. Because... The idea of a sentence on a piece of paper is pretty abstract, right? Um, and it's also, it's text, which is against the idea of mnemonic visualization, right? So he used a homonym, which is to sentence somebody, and that's much more visual. Because it's also emotional, because you can imagine the reaction that somebody might have when they're sentenced to a guilty verdict or horribly unjustly sentenced to the gulag or death in, you know, Stalinist Russia, USSR, and... the burrito exploding like a grenade is maybe the one part of this that is sort of like what a burrito explosive but that's okay because it's kind of it even fits Stalin's personality that he would hide a grenade in a burrito like it's like you know you oh you think you're getting some breakfast and then next thing you know you're dead and so that is an excellent scene awesome and you know these sort of it's realistic too because it fits the actor's personality right it's like Stalin was a maniac so it's like it fits perfectly there all right next Chad Wrestler on character 55, which means moon. So this is the components that we'll use to end up with the character for moon. And he says, location, backyard of Ed's house, his father-in-law. Actor is Randy Macho Man Savage, which you'll remember from earlier in the podcast. Uh, the props are the samurai sword, the pliers, and the twins. And in his case, he did Arnold Schwarzenegger and Danny DeVito from the movie Twins. Awesome choice for the twins. All right, so... Here's the story. It's late evening, and I'm in the backyard of my father-in-law Ed's house as there is a steel cage match between Randy Savage and Arnold for the WWF title. Immediately, I love the story. A pair of pliers hangs in the middle of the cage, and the first wrestler to grab them and open the cage before the moon is at its apex wins the world title. Both are extremely tired. When suddenly, someone throws the Macho Man a wooden samurai sword. He's holding the sword as he stands right under the pliers, ready to knock Arnold out. When suddenly, Danny DeVito jumps into the cage. Arnold and Danny hit the Macho Man with a dull dropkick while Arnold grabs the pliers out of the air. <laughs> they look up and see that the moon is almost at its apex as they rush to cut the lock off the cage. Just as the moon reaches its apex, Arnold exits the cage and special guest Neil Armstrong give, gives Arnold the belt. A plus again on that scene everything's involved in it Danny DeVito coming in is hilarious and then <laughs> the, have, even having the Neil Armstrong being the one to present the belt at the end I mean come on it's amazing it's really well done uh you know you could add some slight you know special effects and where it's like okay they're really tired show their faces look how exhausted they are make sure they're sweaty but excellent really good scene really good scene all right two more comments Next is from Mindy Chia on the bonus video, principle versus reality in Mandarin, which is a part of the pronunciation mastery course. She says, I'm an overseas Chinese born in Malaysia. I've taken several Mandarin courses with SOAS London and other Chinese tutors in my youth. It is really refreshing learning from Phil and Luke, like this is the first time. Finals and initials have been clearly explained and it's in all my other classes, that was just a chart in the first book and skipped over Yeah. They really don't spend enough time on pronunciation and you don't even have to spend that long on it. Like we have six hours of content, but like they'll spend, you know, an hour and go like, Oh, okay. You got, you got it in principle All right, go. And it's like, oh, it's just not, not well done. Okay. Continuing. Uh, interesting to learn about tone pairs, bought a couple of online courses, but yours proves the most engaging looking forward to mastering speaking Mandarin in 2019. See, you know, I love that stuff, right? It's like you're, I really think that the ultimate goal of pronunciation mastery is to make you go, oh, I got this. Because if you can master the pronunciation, then you learn a new word. You know, you know at least one thing about it is true. You're going to be able to say it right. And then if you use the Mandarin Blueprint method, you're going to remember the tone. You're going to remember the pronunciation because of the actor and set, right? Because that's what the actor and set represent is the uh, tone and pronunciation. So you're going to remember that because it's easy brad pitt is standing in the bedroom of my childhood home well that has a pronunciation and tone in it and it's just instant you think about that and it's instant right and so the fact that that's true means that you're going to remember the the pronunciation of a character and then you're going to say it right so already it's a huge leg up so glad to hear it mindy and then finally from kate cannon this is also from the email she says i want to tell you both that I understand your method from my own clumsy attempt to do exactly what you did. Reorder and reshape the Heisig mnemonic method, which you have done brilliantly. Your website is astonishingly, astonishingly functional and beautiful. Your videos are well presented and personable, superbly lit and the sound quality is excellent. The Anki deck is a delight. I'm surprised to hear her say that, but that's great. And I am finally having the experience I knew knew was possible. Plus everything that was not possible 10 years ago when I started teaching myself Mandarin, what you have created overall is so rich in content and so effective that I anticipate ever-growing success for you and your product. Thank you for everything it took over the years, linguistically, theoretically, technologically, and entrepreneurially to create the ideal system for learning Mandarin Chinese. And what she's referring to there about us reordering the Heisig method was that when we originally learned Mandarin, we used a book called Remembering the Simplified Hanzi by James Heisig, And This is – this book is like – it's a great book, but it's got a couple of uh, issues. And the first one is that they don't teach pronunciation at the same time. And as a result of them having that premise that you can't learn pronunciation at the same time, which by the way, that is disproven now you can like we have had so much many people with success with the mandarin blueprint method and um the pronunciation mnemonics were also an idea that we um got permission to use from a guy named sergey gorodish now he didn't turn it into a system like we did but the original idea came from sergey gorodish who's the uh author of the country of the blind blog the the idea that you can't use You can't learn pronunciation at the same time that you're learning a character. All you can learn is the meaning and the components. Meant that they didn't really care about the frequency of a character. They just cared about what the components were. So they would teach a uh, character and then other characters that have similar components uh, because uh, you're going to have to go back anyway and figure out the pronunciation. There's no reason why you can't learn character frequency number 1433 before you learn character frequency number 20 because it's just about components right and so a they were wrong about pronunciation and b that influenced the order that they present the characters in and it leaves out very important characters until very late and it brings in unnecessary characters very early and so we were only in our hindsight did we realize these problems. And so we said, All right, well, we gotta fix it because this is this is not good enough. It's gotta be better than this. So we were like, all right, we gotta make a new order, and so and so we have. And so there that's how the Mandarin blueprint method was sort of originally born, was sort of seeing, or I guess the the idea for it was we gotta change this because it's too it's got too many issues, it's got too many problems. So we're going to fix it ourselves. And also there was a lot of inconsistencies. I feel like I'm criticizing it a lot. I mean, it was a book that helped me learn Mandarin. So like, you know, I'm not, it, it's overall, it's a blessing that, that book existed. If that book didn't exist, the Mandarin Blueprint method wouldn't exist. So, you know, definitely hats off to uh, James Heisig and, and Timothy Richardson, but it's, um, you know, it's just got some weak spots in it. There's also spots where there's uh, a lot of, a lot of extra components. There's spots that are not, like they don't follow their own rules sometimes. And there are scenes that have, um, or stories he calls them that are, uh, they don't, I I don't identify with them at all because he's a, you know, we're not in the same generation. So I suppose that in his generation, people would know it, but I didn't know what he was referring to. So that's what Kate means there. And uh, you know, I think Kate is going to do really well here. And I just thought I would mention that, you know, this entrepreneurial side of it, like, that's the new part for both Luke and I, like we're, it's not what we're used to, you know, necessarily. And, uh, I've learned so much. It's fun. It's fun running a business, but it's certainly not necessarily our strong suit. Our strong suit is, you know, thinking in terms of making a curriculum and making something for you that's high quality and, uh, is, is logical and builds on itself. And, you know, that's, that's our area of most, um, expertise, but, you know, sometimes when it comes to how should we promote the course and how should we, you know, uh, make more people understand that this thing exists and, and motivate people, it, it can be a bit tough. And so, you know, the best thing that any of you could do if you're if you're watching is is share the course, uh, leave us a review. I, I mentioned at the beginning, uh, leaving us a review on our new free Pronunciation Mastery course on Udemy. Udemy.com could be great. It's the link in the show notes. Um, leaving us a review on Facebook. Um, all of this would be really helpful because – we want to be able to do this all the time. And, you know, at the moment we're, you know, kind of holding our own and we're able to kind of still afford to keep the team together and all of that. But, you know, we have to get more people aware of it uh, for it to be a tenable business. And so otherwise we're going to have to do other stuff with our time just, you know, to get by and pay the bills. So uh, we want to be able to spend all of our time on this, making good content for you. And um, so the biggest thing you all can do to help is share the course, leave a review, and we would all be greatly appreciative. And you can do that on, on, on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you listen to your podcast as well. And uh, thank you so much. It's great to do this recorded for the second time. This time it seems to have recorded correctly. So uh, we'll see you again uh, next week. And remember, you can leave any of your comments in the course or to support at MandarinBlueprint.com. See ya.